Welcome to Media Over Matter, a podcast where we bring to light important social justice issues and discuss the different ways these matters are depicted by the mainstream news and media and then presented to the public. I'm Fiona Masalunas, and this is Media Over Matter. In today's episode, we are going to be focusing on the recent hate crimes, racism, and xenophobia against Asian Americans, discussing both the causation and translation of these issues in a post-COVID society. We're also going to be having a guest joining us a little bit later. His name is V. Nijin, and he's going to be sharing his firsthand experience dealing with an anti-Asian hate crime here in Lubbock, Texas. For today's episode, And before each episode, I like to get on and just give a little background info to one, tell y'all why we decided to choose this social justice issue to cover and two, give you a little bit more background info on the social justice issue itself. And so for this week, like I mentioned, we are speaking on anti-Asian racism, xenophobia, and hate crimes. The reason we decided to touch on this issue is because it has been a year now since COVID happened. So we are a year into a COVID society, which sparked a lot of racism against the Asian community because of the location uh, where COVID started, which was in China, and how the United States is so rooted in racism and white supremacy that even our president at the time started creating this false narrative of COVID being the quote-unquote Chinese virus, that rhetoric sparked into a whole different arena of racism, which had always existed, you know, it had always been there. But this just increased it so much. And in the last month, we have seen such a spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans and the murder of an elderly Asian man. We just think that this is messed up and it is worth talking about and worth getting out there in the form of this podcast. That's the whole point. We want to open the conversation. We want to talk about things that Even if they are getting talked about, we want to talk about them more because these things are important. And we also feel that it shouldn't just be Asian people having to talk about these issues and educate us on these issues. If we're going to learn about this, it's it's up to us to go out of our way to find out about it. So I've done a little bit of research just involving the history of racism against Asian Americans And it goes back pretty far. I am looking at a resource sheet done by Colorado University. It is in relation to anti-Asian racism and COVID-19. Here it says that anti-Asian racism has existed from the time the first wave of Chinese immigrants came to the U.S. in the 19th century, first in search of gold, and then when they were recruited to build the Transcontinental Railroad. It says that the Chinese were vilified and demonized in the U.S., accused of eating vermin, rats, and engaging in pagan religious practices. Generally, they were associated with filth and disease, often because they were forced to live in overcrowded quarters, what became known as Chinatowns in industrial poor neighborhoods, where diseases ran rampant and proper hygiene was unattainable. 
Anti-Chinese sentiment grew in the U.S. throughout the 19th century with accusations that Chinese laborers were stealing jobs from the white working men. And so through all these anti-Chinese sentiments became the term yellow peril. And yellow peril refers to a general fear, mistrust, and hatred of the first Chinese people that came to the U.S. These negative sentiments were then transferred to other Asian ethnic groups like Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Indian, etc., This yellow peril sentiment fueled many anti-Asian U.S. initiatives, such as the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, the Gentlemen's Agreement, and the Cable Act. The most important thing to note about yellow peril, though, is the fact that it reduces Asians to always being foreign and never being considered American. And so this, like, historically anti-Chinese sentiment then just became anti-Asian racism once the different ethnic groups of being Chinese within the U.S. were all just kind of combined into the racial category of what they used to call Oriental, which is a dated term not to be used anymore, is a racist term. They say that it is pretty much the equivalent of calling someone African-American the word Negro. It's just don't use that term, okay? If you hear someone using that term, correct them. It's just not the correct terminology. Eventually, Asians became known as Asian-Americans within the United States, but that took a long time, and that only started happening as the United States kind of culturally and socially was more accepting of non-European people be considering Americans in general. So it kind of took them to probably accept, you know, the white people as Americans before they were going to accept the Asians as Americans. And even though a sizable amount of people refer to them as Asian Americans, they still regard Asian Americans as being foreign rather than being U.S. citizens. And that is the biggest problem, just continuing to contribute to anti-Asian racism and xenophobia in the U.S. Adding to this problem is the rhetoric and name-calling of the coronavirus and calling it the quote-unquote Chinese virus. This is just so, such a big reason of why there has been this huge spike in anti-Asian racism and hate crimes in the United States is because our elected official, he chose to use this terminology and spread the these racist ideals to the public. And that is a big thing that we're going to cover later in this podcast is how sharing stuff like that on mainstream media, how harmful that can be, how harmful that rhetoric was to the Asian American community. I have something here that says that the World Health Organization was very clear in explaining why the official name for the coronavirus was COVID-19. It's because they wanted to avoid the stigmatization that happened in the past with the Spanish flu of 1918, with diseases being affiliated with geographic regions or ethnicities. That is what they were trying to avoid. And so even though the virus had originated in Wuhan, China, and became 
became a huge global pandemic, the World Health Organization and many other organizations wanted to note that the virus is not going to be called its point of origin because that engages in racist practices by blaming a region and by that in extension blaming the group of people and associating them with that disease. The term Chinese virus is harmful no matter which way you put it. You can't sit here and say that calling it the Chinese virus is fine because it originated in China. No, that is labeling this virus and this pandemic with a group of people and continuing to associate that group of people with disease and filth like they have in the past. This just continues the sentiment of anti-Asian racism where Asian Americans are still seen as foreign and still seen as outsiders bringing diseases into our country like it's it's just so fucked up on so many different levels now i feel like would be a good time to get into our interview we have a guest with us today his name is v nijin and he's going to be sharing his first-hand experience dealing with an anti-asian hate crime here in lubbock texas So I guess without further ado, um, just start off by telling us your personal experience that you had to deal with. All right. I um, I drive over to Sam's Club and it was during a really active time. It was about like 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So a lot of people were kind of going to and from the front doors. And I was turning into a uh, parking space and I noticed that there was a uh, shopping cart there. So I went ahead and went to the one next to it because both were empty. And I parked, turned off my car, looked at my cell phone to respond to a quick text message or two. And as I was looking up, um, there was somebody who was pushing that cart off and another and a car parking into it. So I'm assuming that the passenger had gotten out to move the shopping cart. And um, I was about to open up my door and so I already like kind of pulled the lever and so the door had detached but I hadn't opened it yet and I noticed that the person who was pushing the cart was walking back to um, his car and I went ahead and just kind of like left it cracked because I didn't want to open it and block his path and um, as he was walking past I noticed that he was muttering to himself and I kind of like just kind of like tuned in and listened and what he was saying as he was walking past was you better not open up that fucking door and stay in that fucking car and I thought that was pretty you know unusual and because I hadn't done anything to provoke and um I my initial assumption was that perhaps he thought that I had already shopped and left my shopping cart in the parking space and so he was agitated about that um so I get out of my car as soon as he gets around to about the, his uh, back bumper just so that he's fully clear from my area and I put on my mask and I uh, step out and I close the door and as I'm kind of passing him I guess I was feeling kind of feisty <laughs> so I looked directly at him and I said I think that's a little inappropriate and he was and he just looked at me bewildered and said what did you fucking say and I said I think that was excessive with what you said um I've done nothing to provoke you and I have done nothing to, um, you know, cause that sort of hostility. And I think that was completely inappropriate and excessive. And so then he kind of like takes a moment back and like at this point, um, the person who was in the driver's seat of that car was a female and she um, 
she was starting to get out, but then she kind of like stopped a bit. And she, I guess she kind of picked up on what was happening. And so he started saying, um, you know, just, you know, uh, things like, this is your fucking fault. You know, our whole entire nation's this way. You should have stayed in fucking China. And at this moment, I'm like, first of all, um, my last name is um, pretty broad amongst the Vietnamese people. And it's, uh, which is also why you hear it pronounced completely different ways. There's like at least 55 tribes in Vietnam and most of them pronounce this last name kind of differently depending on which region you're from. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, like I'm not, I'm not Chinese and I've really only been to Vietnam once. And so like, even then it was like when I was 12. So all these things, you know, at this point I realized that this person was assuming based off of how I look that I was part of a grander scheme, uh, like a grander location. And I, you know, I wasn't. So at this point I just kind of was rolling my eyes and I figured that I would just disengage. He's already hostile. He has misinformation. He's not obviously not looking into details or doing his research. So talking with him on an educated and reasonable level was probably not going to go well because you'd probably see that as a threat. So I just shook my head and I said, well, I just think that before you show hostility, you should be provoked. And I feel as if I haven't done that. So I continued to walk towards the front, um, towards the front and he's following me, continuing, um, you know, just kind of, uh, verbally just kind of saying a lot of racial slanders, a lot of cussing and a lot of things about how like, um, all of the problems of the U S health wise is caused by people like me. And, at this point, I'm trying to ignore him, but I'm trying to also, part of me was hoping that as I approached the front gate, you know how they have that person who checks whether you're a member or not, or at least a shopping cart, that they would see him follow me and basically harassing me. And I was hoping that at that point they could kind of join in and then like help disengage him. Because I felt that if I had stopped, then it would have just been, he would have taken that as a sign of like, um, host like hostility and things might've gotten physical. So at that point I was just trying to be, I was trying to just ignore him and just go towards the front door. And as I was walking out of nowhere, I just feel like the sharp pain in the back of my head. And then everything just kind of went blurry for a split second. And it took me a couple of seconds to realize that basically he realized that I was ignoring him. And so he got agitated and he struck the back of my head with such force that my glasses fell off. Oh my God, that, that is horrible. Yeah. It took me a, a good like two seconds to really comprehend what would have happened because I really didn't expect that. So without trying to slow down, I picked up my glasses, put them back on and kept on speeding up. When he did that, the, the driver of the car said, stop, what the hell are you doing? So obviously even she was shocked by his, um, by his action. And at that point, like, I, I don't know, like it was kind of mentally like a three stooge effect where I had a lot of emotions and a lot of thoughts that were going through my head, but all of them just kind of got trapped before any of them could like leak through and actually process. So I was just kind of in a state of shock. So I went in and, um, I wanted to tell the person um, at the gate about this so that they wouldn't let him in for, you know, like my safety, though, even though I wasn't feeling like directly, like I didn't feel like he was 
stalking me or like threatening me like besides that like I think that it had stopped him but like I felt that I, I think if I had been logically thinking I would have pointed that out so that way they could at least monitor how close he got to me if he decided to do anything further or if anything happened at least there would be another witness so showing that you know that but I was in such a state of shock that I just kind of kept on walking and as I was walking I just tried to comprehend exactly what had happened because after something like that happens, your mind kind of just kind of stops and says, did that really happen? Did I, you know, like there, there is a strong force of denial and you start to convince yourself of like, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe I did provoke them. Maybe, you know, like there's a lot of things that just kind of happen as, a, as um, you know, you're processing everything. And um, I went ahead and just kind of like walked through, like kind of in a snake form, just kind of like zigzagging through all the aisles just to kind of like help calm myself down as well as to kind of recompose myself. And I found myself looking over my shoulder and he was always within eyesight. Like he wasn't close by any measure. It would, if he did decide to charge towards me, which I didn't expect that he would, but if he did, it would still take such a long amount of time with the distance that I would be able to run accordingly so did no one hear this happening or see him do that was it no really? uh that that's another thing is whenever he hit me i looked around and i was kind of hoping that somebody was there nobody was around because everybody was towards the front and we were towards the side and so it was it was completely missable um i i was really hoping that somebody would kind of like look around and so i could have at least a witness but at that point there wasn't um it was just a, it was, I think that even during that time, if somebody had approached, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, because we see and hear these stories about other people. And when we experience it ourselves, we tend to just disassociate from it and feel like it is another person that it happened to still. So, um, I went through about like half the store zigzagging like that. And then I realized that I just, I, I just needed one particular item and I didn't feel comfortable with him always being an eyesight of me. So I went ahead and got what I needed, started to check out. And at that moment when being checked out, um, I had considered talking to the person who was at the cashier uh, register and at that, but it never really came up in conversation. And again, when you're kind of like going through a lot of the denial and still processing everything, you don't, you know, like, you don't want to be socially awkward to bring it up. Like, hey, this person that's kind of, like, appearing over my shoulder is, like, hardcore, like, following me after he struck and assaulted me in the parking lot. So, since it didn't come up in conversation, which, when would it ever, um, I just kind of went on. And so, I finished the transaction, went ahead and checked out, and was heading to my car. And from shock to pure rage that's how it went. Like as soon as I passed through those doors, I was like super upset and I was livid that this person just, A, blamed me for things that are inaccurate. Secondly, physically assaulted me, um, or just, you know, assaulted me. Um, and over me just walking away and not engaging in his, in his, you know, diatribe. I don't, I don't even know what it would be, but his yelling. And a lot of me really wanted to mess up that car. <laughs> and I just, I literally just kind of like stood there for probably a good five seconds, which felt like an attorney. And 
at the end of the day, I was like, I don't want to make the 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 person become a victim because if I were to do that, all of a sudden I would be the person who would you know be in trouble. And I was like, mm, I'll go ahead and leave it. So I put up the shopping cart and I sit in my car and I'm there just kind of like still really just not knowing what to do because I was like, I should just drive home, but I'm thinking of so many things and I'm feeling so many things. I don't know if I'm necessarily like, I have a cool enough head to drive without being distracted. So I kind of sit there for a moment and just kind of thinking about like, maybe I should just sit here for a few minutes to calm down before I start driving. And as I'm doing that, he comes around and he's like looking at his car, like walking around it, making sure that nothing happened. Cause I, I, I mean, from his perspective, I walked in and bought two heads of cauliflower in like a span of 10 minutes at Sam's club. Like when I could do that, any grocery store seems suspicious. And so I could see how he would, uh, really oh, feel. Please. You yeah. should not be suspicious for buying cauliflower. You shouldn't <laughs> have to be suspicious for doing anything. And, <laughs> Any, all of that was so unwarranted. It, yeah, it, it just, I didn't, I didn't know how to respond. And so at that moment, I went ahead and pulled out my cell phone, got the camera on and pretended that I was talking on the phone, but clicking the take pictures function because he went into his car and he was actually backing out. So I guess he didn't feel secure leaving it. So he was moving his car. And so I got pictures of him. I got pictures as soon as he turned away, got pictures of his license plate. And I was like, whatever I decide to do with this, I'll decide to deal with this. But at this moment, I just need to take care of myself. And I start driving and about like 10 seconds into driving, I realized that I was still heavily distracted. And fortunately, I work really close to Sam's Club. So I went ahead and went to work. Um, even though it was my day off, I just needed a place to go. And so I walked in and the assistant manager was working. Her name is Megan. And Megan's like, hey, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't, I just need to calm down. And she's like, what What happened? You know, like normally you're pretty cheerful. So what dist like caused you such duress, you know? And so I explained to her the whole entire incident. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm like feeling about everything. Like there's just so many conflicting emotions as well as thoughts you know like I, I just don't know and she just paused and she said v that's assault like you need to call the police and i was like is it though like i really feel as if like maybe it's not that big of a deal she's like no he hit you like that's assault so why wouldn't you and uh and at that moment like even though i had been feeling it hearing somebody else kind of validate that thought and validate that that is what actually happened kind of got me like, oh, you're right. Like, why wouldn't I report it? So um, I went ahead and called the police department and I said that I'm not necessarily filing a report right now, but I want to know the consequences of what exactly, if I were to file, how would it affect like this person as well as me? Because at the end of the day, I don't want to be like eight, nine months from now having to be going into court to give this testimony when I feel as if like I've already been like, done with it and would it be easier just to move on was it constituted as a hate crime like the the like assault like a an assault a hate crime assault uh he did not use that term specifically he did say that it was a um an assault that's all it was at that point um you know i did explain that you know he was saying those things about me needing to go back to china stuff like that 
And so uh, I'm not quite sure. I think that basically they would have to do a little bit more investigation to signify whether that's the motive or not. Um, at that moment, I still was unsure. So I went ahead and said that I would not necessarily file because at the end he did say like, um, it is possible that if he contests it and he has enough like plausible denial, then they would need a testimony from me. Um, and so I was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. And he's like, you have to do what is best for you. And if you feel as if that you would rather have it stop here now and not report it, that is your right. However, you have everything you need to file an assault charge. I kind of had been talking about it with some people and um, I, I that's where I kind of left that at. Um, I went back home and I kind of, um, I did a live Facebook, explained the situation and I had a lot of feedback and a lot of people were talking about how like, I really did need to follow it to the police. Ultimately, they support my decision either way because it is my own well wellness and mental health that I need to consider. So if it would cause more trauma, then I shouldn't. But at the end of the day, it was a crime. It was a hate crime and it really needed to be um, kind of talked about. And um, I was still kind of wishy-washy about it until one of my friends, uh, a really good friend of mine that we worked together when I was in San Marcos, she is a victim of a sexual assault. And she called me and she said, V, listen, you are in a position to stop a future crime because these behaviors do progress. He feels more empowered that he's been able to get away with hitting somebody. And because of that, who's to say that he might not progress with more? He might fully go in and really beat somebody up. And she's like, had I had somebody done that with like the person that had sexually assaulted her, um, that, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been on the streets and she wouldn't have been another victim, you know, and realizing that I was in a, I was one person in what could be a long chain. How many more victims have to be like, how many more victims does there have to be before this man is stopped? And at the very end of the day, if nothing happens, at least maybe he knows that people aren't going to allow him to, you know, assault yeah. people. And, you know, at least there's that. And there's some sort of pushback, some sort of consequence that makes him think, think twice. And um, it wasn't till somebody else who had, who was a victim of a different type of crime, um, to me, a much more severe crime, um, that it gave me courage to actually call and file. And I did. And um, I did specifically state that if it's at all possible, I'd rather not have to go in to give any further information. They can record me and whatnot, but I would prefer not to go in, you know, like, cause at this point I just look like any other Asian, but if I were to go in and have to talk in a court or anything like that, he would have a face to attach to that. And I don't like for a good like month, and a half after that incident, every time I went to Sam's Club, which I avoided as much as I could, I would drive around the parking lot looking for that car. Like if it matched the color and make, I would look at the license plate number. 
I mean, it's traumatizing. Like, I'm so sorry you've had to do that and deal with the repercussions of something like that because it is traumatizing. You know, it made you think differently about a lot of situations and a lot of things in the world. And um, I think you have a very good perspective, but don't discount your experience because it was it was traumatizing for sure. It, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's uh, It's really interesting because... I didn't realize that so much had increased against Asian Americans in the United States until I had talked about it and uh, Tovi had heard. And so uh, she had explained that doing, doing her research for an article that she was doing, she found, you know, a huge increase and I had not even realized it. I tend to not look at the news anyways. Um, I find it causes me a little bit more anxiety than it, than it needs to. Yeah. So I typically get my information from other people accounting from it. And if it interests me, then I do my own research of that particular topic. Thank you so much. Also, your story is, is you're a very good storyteller and have a very good way of explaining everything in detail. I appreciate this opportunity because at the end of the day, I realize how well, okay. So in my counseling, uh, I'm, I'm in a counseling program. Um, we talk about how different different cultures, different organizations, different um, ethnicities, diversity basically, mm-hmm. responds to outside help very differently. And with uh, with Asian Americans, we tend to keep everything within ourselves. And so um, a lot of the crimes and a lot of the issues that are being reported are probably just a small portion because most people did not have the support and feedback that I got um, because if it wasn't for me going to where I work and talking to my assistant manager or the assistant manager of my, of the store that I work at, um, I wouldn't have classified it as assault and I wouldn't have made the phone call and I wouldn't have made the live Facebook feed about it. And I wouldn't have had multiple people explain to me like, this is something that you need to report. Again, all of my friends really supported me in saying, if it is mentally healthy for you. Um, and just kind of thinking about that, it was one event that led to the other that eventually gave me the courage and confidence to report it because I felt that it was such a small thing. Because... Again, when you're in denial, you start to come up with excuses of, well, it's not that big of a deal. It was one incident. I don't have a bruise, so it's not that bad. Uh, Nothing really broke. Um, As well as the police force have more than their fair share of cases that they need to work on. Do they really need to investigate something that's so small? I'm only one victim. I'm only one person. It's not like he's going around, like, you know, victimizing a bunch of, like, a whole entire group. And you know, you just develop these narratives in your head of why you should not. You spend more time of why you should not than knowing and validating of why you should. And uh, with Asians in particular, our structure really encourages us, uh, depending on which number of generation you are, typically, again, you know, there are always outliers, typically it encourages you to resolve the problem first within yourself, and if need be, within the family. And so with victims of hate crimes that are Asian American, you know, we don't tend to speak out much. It's our problem. 
it's nobody else's. It's things that we have to, we have failed or we have had our own weakness or we put ourselves in that situation as opposed to it being a crime. And so um, it's been very interesting to kind of learn about, um, one of the classes I'm taking currently is uh, diversity with Dr. Aretha Marbley, an amazing person. Uh, I do believe she's the first tenured African-American woman in Texas Tech. Um, You know, going through her class, she kind of talks about how, just how different cultures and ethnicities and races, because I didn't realize that there is a difference between the three until I took her class. Because we typically in the United States summarize all three within the same thing, and they're not. There are specific things. And it's something that's very unique to the United States in which we summarize and make them all synonymous. But uh, she explains how each of those respond to mental health differently. They view it very, very differently. And because of it, certain populations are unwilling to seek, or not unwilling, but have a stigma against mental health and counseling or seeking out outside resources. Mm-hmm. And um, it is up to us as count- future counselors to help lessen those barriers and those and remove that stigma to allow people to realize that these resources are available and they can advocate for themselves. And so for you, do you feel like there has been accurate mainstream coverage of racist acts against Asian Americans? Honestly, I have not heard much of it. Um, I hear people who are who do research of news, and uh, they tend to be people who look at multiple sources to find whether it's accurate or biased in any sort of way, uh, that they're the ones who notify me that they have found that. But as for um, seeing things on the news or like TV or even on my feed, I have not seen a single thing, honestly. It's not, it's not until I hear of other, I guess, people who are a little bit more scholarly in their news information um, that I even realized that this was popping up at all. Yeah, because I, it's obviously been something that has risen in, you know, the last um, year and in the last few months, there were a ton of rise in the hate crimes against Asian Americans, specifically elderly Asian Americans. And I found something, uh, it was a... um, I'm completely blanking, where you go and sign like a petition and it was like a petition to uh, get better coverage of those um, stories on the news. And it ended up getting like 200,000 signatures and they made make a change. That's what it is. And they made change with it. And apparently it did reach um, some news stations that started covering the issues. But I completely agree. I think it is very um, misrepresented in the media. Um where do you suggest people go to find this information about social justice issues, about racism? Um, I don't know any sources particularly. Honestly, Google is an amazing search engine. And I think that if you were to do that, um, just beware that, again, certain things have, certain news outlets have certain agendas. And so get multiple sources. If you hear multiple, if you seek multiple sources and they are agreeing within a, a, a theme, um, I think it's really important that you kind of do research and that, your first source is not always the truth. It is a perspective of an event that is valid. And um, I think that it's really important that, yes, we always think about, I should do that. I should do this. But if you just put it on your schedule, you'd be amazed what you're able to just, like, just put 
five minutes of researching a particular topic on the news. Uh, five minutes can really enlighten you about where to look, what resources there are, what organizations, um, things like that. Um, so I guess I have no formal website, but go with a search engine that you feel most comfortable with and then dedicate five to 10 minutes. And if you physically put it on a calendar or an alarm, you're more likely to follow through with it. So it's something that if it's something that you're constantly pushing down because you'll do it later, you're too tired now, you're too busy, you just want to sit down. Um, if you actually put that physically as a physical reminder somehow, you're more likely to really go with it. And I think um, educating yourself on what information is out there, because um, in my diversity class alone, we, we do have article readings and I had to sit down and seek out articles doing dealing with diversity and how it works and not only in mental health, but also in the United States, um, just five minutes of searching, I found numerous articles very interesting um, things, even things that don't necessarily relate to me as an Asian American, but things that um, like how, like one article that I found was how couples are changing their sexual identity. Uh, what does it mean to be pansexual? What does it mean to be bisexual? Different terms. And what do they actually mean? And that was just like one of the first articles that popped up. And so it's, it's very interesting how um, if you, if you're willing to just spend a little bit of time and you're interested in it, how much information you can find on one go. So. so this is kind of going backwards a little bit, like less of the mainstream stuff. But uh, if it's too personal, you don't have to talk about it. But do you still kind of experience that a little bit? Like just when you walk past people that kind of be sitting in the back of your mind? I have become a little bit more aware. <laughs> um, I... I typically address things in a very humorous way um, because as I make fun of it, I it loses its power of intensity over me. Um, it is a defense mechanism, so I try not to rely on that too much. But um, I did notice that, like, you know, when I go to the grocery stores, I have my mask on and I do try to keep my distance. And I noticed that with certain, certain individuals, so it's not even bound by a specific population, diversity, race, or ethnicity, anything like that. It's just specific individuals. So I think that's one of the first things that we need to kind of realize is that every person is their own person. And we shouldn't assume that because they are part of this population that they will respond this way. But I once like coughed because I choked on my own spit and I coughed and all of a sudden I looked around and my whole entire aisle was empty. So Ooh. I think, yeah, I think like it's things like that. And I'm not quite sure if it was because it was like it's only happened like two or three times in this whole entire year. Uh, so I don't the the sample size is really low to say, like, I think that's something that I noticed. But it's it's hard well, not yeah. to feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was that the first time something like that had ever happened to you or? Um, we don't have to get into that. No, no, no. Um, honestly, I'm a very open book, so I'm not bothered by much. Um, OK. And also, I feel as if like as somebody talks about their experience, if you can relate to it, whether or not you're even Asian American, but if you can relate to it, then, you know, I think it's important for us to share this information. Um, you know, for the most part, my sister and I have had very few encounters in which we've had somebody that we felt was hostile to us due to our race. So, I mean, it, and like those types of events don't happen very often, but as we kind of look back, we realize that there are like, first of all, the stigmas with Asians tend to be a little bit more, quote unquote, positive stigmas, you know, like, oh, we're good at math, we're, um, 
you know, hard workers, we're, you know, this or that. And what people need to understand is that that is an assumption based off of something that you have no experience with me as an individual. Again, what I try to do is see somebody as an individual, not as part of a population. And I think that's important for us as well. um, That- And even positive stereotypes have negative effects. Exactly. It, It corners us to expectations. And what we're finding out in a lot of like our experiences, and as I talk to other people who are working with mental health that are either Asian or work with Asians, um, is that it kind of pushes us to certain expectations that we feel bound by. And we have a bit of an identity crisis of, well, I'm like the only Asian that's not good at math. What the hell do I do? What, you know, how do I approach this, you know? And it's like, yeah, I mean, just because you're Asian doesn't mean, doesn't have to mean that you're good at math, but you felt that pressure, you know, like, yeah. and so when you go to a job interview and they're like, oh, yo, you're going to do great because you're Asian, so you're a hard worker. Like, yeah, that sounds like a positive thing, but it creates an expectation for us. And that's true yeah. of any demographic. If you go in and you automatically label them and bind them to an expectation, they now either feel as if they are inadequate because they don't fulfill it, or they feel as if they have to work twice as hard to fulfill that. And so uh, just constantly look at somebody as an individual. We understand that based off of our past experiences, we have a certain assumption about people, which is natural, but allow people the chance to disprove you on that. You can have those, you can have, um, you know, an assumption and kind of work towards it. But as soon as they kind of say like, hey, I actually kind of prefer this, respect that because that's how they view things as as an individual and don't make an assumption as a whole. What I may prefer as myself as V, may not be the, what the vast majority of people out there would prefer that have the same, you know, physical features as I do. We are all individuals. We have all unique experiences and we all have personal preferences based off of those experiences. So what may be offensive to one person of that population may not be offensive to the same the same population of a, uh, with a different individual. And so break the stigma of constantly putting people into groups as well as what I'm learning in class is if you are not willing to label yourself, if you're not willing to tell what you're comfortable and what you want, people will label it for you. People will make that assumption and that, oh, you're this then. And I think that's very much why race, ethnicity, and culture tend to be somewhat blurred in the United States is because we have decided not to allow ourselves that label so people are willing are labeling for us because labels are important. We say that labeling people is bad, but if you label yourself, you're showing your identity and what your preferences are. And so advocate for yourself before you can ever advocate for anybody else. You have to first learn to advocate for yourself because if you're not worth it, you're not going to feel as if that you have the courage to advocate for other people. So please, 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 like if there's anybody out there who is struggling to advocate for themselves, know that nobody else is going to do it for you unless they've done it for themselves. And if you can do it for yourself, you can do it for other people and you can help other people. So please, it's okay. It really is. And it's scary. So if you need to talk it out, if you need to write it down, if you need to do whatever it is, do so. So you can help yourself and that way you can help other people. So where do we go from here? What can we do to help fight this war against racism and support the Asian American community and give them our support? 
Well, a few things you can do are amplify and share these stories. Do not be silenced. Call your local legislators and ask what they are doing to support the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Check in on your AAPI friends and family. Support your local Asian American owned businesses. Order takeout from your local Asian food restaurant. And just just don't be silent. Don't silence these stories because as V said that it can be a thing in the Asian American community to not want to make a big scene and not want to make a big deal out of these things. But these these are hate crimes. These are a big deal. Racism is a big deal. And it's something that needs to be talked about and needs to be brought to light and given a platform. And so a few accounts that you can follow on Instagram if you are looking for more information. The first is The first is at Asian American Collective on Instagram, at Asians for Anti-Racism on Instagram, and at Stop AAPI Hate YC on Instagram. There are also mental health resources available for the Asian American community and anybody else who might have experienced a racial hate crime. And those resources, you can call the crisis line at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or you can text the crisis hotline and you can text CONNECT to 741741. That's text CONNECT to 741741. Well, thank you so much for listening today, guys. I know it was a little heavier subject matter for the first episode, but in our next episode, we are going to be diving further into the conversation about the media and the role that the media plays in spreading the information on these social justice issues, whether that be good information or misinformation. So join us next time on Media Over Matter.